I got a message this morning. Everybody say good. Um, I've never got up here in, in 36 years and say, man, I sure wish I had a message this morning. <laughs> but anyway, uh, uh, God is good and gives us revelation and th- different things. And, and uh, we share different things through the message. But how many know by, through the word is supposed to expand our capacity? I mean, the world wants, if we, if we feed off the world, it kind of shrinks our capacity. But when we get into the presence of God, it expands our capacity, even above what we can ask or think. So with that mindset this morning, I, I, the title of my message this morning, I, I like titles. I title my message in different things, and, and um, uh, it causes me to be creative. But anyway, uh, uh, the title of my message this morning is Confrontation of the Impossible. Confrontation of the impossible. I was, I heard another preacher, he was preaching and he, and he quoted this, uh, it, was a, it's a, it was a poem by an English missionary uh, back in the turn of the century. But uh, it, 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 he, it didn't sound exactly the way I heard it years and years ago. So I went and Googled it and I got the whole thing back. So I got this offline, but I, I like this particular poem. The name of the missionary, English missionary was C.T. Studd. Uh, with two D's, if you if you look want to look it up, and this is a poem that he came up with. I think we'll see how it fits our church. Okay, if I, this poem is it's just short. It's real short. It says, uh, "Some wait to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard from hell." <laughs> and immediately, I read that poem and I thought about this. It says, "Yep." Key West. <laughs> that, that fits it right there. I'll read it again. It says, Some want to live within the sound of a church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. And uh, basically, C.T. Uh, C. Studd was a missionary, missionary, was an English missionary to China and uh, served, in, served there for many, many years and uh, was as a missionary. What I want to talk about this morning is a confrontation of the impossible. How many know if you've ever looked in the scripture about everything Jesus asked the disciples to do was impossible? Right? Go lay hands on the sick. Go heal the sick. He didn't say, he didn't say praise. Go, go heal the sick. Was that possible for them? If that was possible for them before Jesus, then basically they could have just um, uh, been doing it the whole time he showed up. Jesus could have just showed up, and if everything was possible, then it, it, to them, uh, no, it became impossibility until Jesus commanded it. When Jesus commanded, spoke it, they went out and they laid hands on the sick, and they were surprised at how things changed. The, the very scriptures that, that, that I'm going to cover this morning almost begs us and beckons us to live in, a, in, in such a lifestyle, I'm going to share that in a moment, live in such a lifestyle that will expect the impossible to be possible. Now, you're probably not aware of our church history because it goes over 31 years we've been here in Key West. This building alone, we've been, I think, the last 20 years, 21 years in this, in this building. Uh, but we've been other places around Key West and, and uh, used for churches and church buildings. When I first came to Key West, uh, I came by the word of the Lord. Uh, quick, quick short story on how things happened. Everything about Key West to me looked impossible. I could not see any possibility at all. If I was to say I'm going to pick the best city I can think of to start a church, it wouldn't be Key West. 
And, uh, but the, what God has shown me over the years and what was allowed for us to participate in over the years is nothing short of miraculous, everything he's done. It, I, would, I, I would be here till uh, tomorrow afternoon and probably beyond explaining all the uh, powerful things that God has done through our church, around our church, because of our church, and even around the world in different things where he has me uh, go around the world in different things in, in, uh, from this church, right from Key West. Understandably, every place I've gone in the mission field have been from Key West Airport. My first connection is Key West Airport. I do not drive to Miami International. I fly there, but I don't drive there. But uh, so all around the world. But God, from this little spot here, this little island here, uh, we've literally, we go over our records, we literally ministered to thousands of people just out of this small church in Key West. And, and, and the things that God has had us to do over the years. It's just mind-boggling when I think about it. And I, I said it would take too much time to explain it all. But I was sitting at, in, I had a church in Boynton Beach, and I was sitting there, and I just was not happy, was not satisfied. Something was not right. I told my wife, I says, we lived about, our house was about 15 miles away. I said, I'm going to go to the church tonight. I said, I'm going to pray all night. I said, don't expect, don't wake me up for me. I said, I'm the one who will be back, but I'm going to seek the Lord. I said, I got I to gotta get some answers. I said, I'm, this, it's just not right. Um, the church was doing fine. People were blessed. They, they, the pastor, there was no problems within the church, but it was just wasn't right. Didn't feel right to me. I went, I began to pray, I began to pray, and it didn't take all night, but God began to talk to me about the keys, the Florida keys. In other words, I was positioned. He said, I had you here for a season, but the season was the backside of the desert for you. He said, now I'm calling you to Egypt. And, I was, and, and basically, but he never said Key West, he said the keys. There was a colleague, friend of mine, uh, we'd come out of the same organization, ordained with the same organization, and so on and so forth. So we had the same kind of history. He had a church in uh, Boca Raton. I had a church in, in Boynton Beach. And I got a phone call. The next morning I got a phone call from him. He says, I, I got to talk to you. He said, man, it's just something strange happened last night. I said, you too? <laughs> he, says, he says, the Lord just spoke to me something about the keys. Florida Keys. I said, you got to be kidding me. This is, this is no coincidence. This is a confirmation. I said, the Lord wasn't talking about you. He's talking about me. And this is what he said to me, quote, unquote, oh, thank God. That was the attitude. Oh, thank God. Because that would be the worst thing in the world to go from Boca Raton to Key West. And God was blessing his work in Boca and, and to, to pick up. Now, he would have done it. But he said, no, thank God. He said, and I'm so grateful that God has, taught, has called you and not me. This is what he said. So called you and not me, I'm going to help you. <laughs> I bet you are. <laughs> and we, we came to Key West, and, and, and basically I came down the Keys, and we're praying the whole time, just him and I in the car. And we got to Key West, and we're the urgent care is right now over on, on US-1 there. Uh, we used to be a pizza hut. I said, well, it's lunchtime. I said, let's pull into the Pizza Hut. We're sitting in a Pizza Hut, and I'm looking out the window, looking at this town. And neither one of us is saying a word. We're just looking at this town. And we just had took a loop and drove around town. And he says, you know it too, don't you? I says, yeah. I said, but I'm, I'm still not convinced. He said, well, you better get convinced. He said, God is speaking. This is the way he wants you to put the, put the line at the church. And you know it, don't you? I said, yes, I do. And I said, I didn't know how. Everything about Key West, about me being in Key West, everything seemed impossible. I have two teenagers that I'm raising at home. I had a house a block from the beach on A1A in, uh, in Deerfield Beach, okay? Uh, 
I've got a brand new boat in the front yard. <laughs> I got a house that's mine, everything here. I said, now I'm going to leave all that to come where? Here? And, and, and basically, that's what we did. We sold everything. And, and my kids, I said, I said this, Dad's called to Key West. How do you know? <laughs> Nobody really wanted to go to Key West. And this is what we did. Everything seemed to be impossible. What about, but my daughter was still in school. My son had just graduated. Blah, blah, blah. What am I supposed to do here? What am I supposed to do there? And different things like that. And about a thousand questions go through your mind. How many have ever been there, what I'm talking about? There were a thousand questions, and everything seems to be impossible. Amen? Understand something. Where our impossibilities end is where God begins with his possibilities. When we get over all the trying to figure things out and nothing seems to figure out, that's exactly where God wants to pick us up and move. Amen? That's exactly where he wants to come in. Everything Jesus told the disciples, I'll say it again, everything he told the disciples was impossible for them to do. They go to feed of 5,000. Okay, 5,000 people. Uh, the disciples said, send them home. We've got no food. We, I mean, he said, all we got is a, he said, what do you have? A few loaves and fishes. Jesus took it. He held it up. He blessed it. And he handed that lunch back to those men. Okay, now what do we do? We still got five loaves and fishes. What do we do? We still got this in a small lunch. Jesus says, pass it out. And as they begin to pass it out, a miraculous thing happened to the loaves and fishes at the hands of the disciples. Not at Jesus' hand. Jesus, if you look at the scriptures, he passed it back to the disciples. At the hand of the disciples, but the command of God. At the hand of the disciples, but the command of God, it began to multiply, multiply. And what was impossible now became possible with God. Interesting, isn't it? But it seemed like, why didn't Jesus, being God, why didn't he just rain down manna from heaven? Did it at the wilderness. Why couldn't he create a different kind of lunch? Why did it have to be multiplied what he had? This is a, a principle we ought to get a hold of. God wants to co-labor through us more than he wants to just give us stuff. But he wants to, us to give forth what we have and co-labor with him. He has a, a desire to co-labor with us. I'm going to give you some scriptures. You bring your Bible this morning. I'll give you some scriptures. This is, this is a statement that Jesus made in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. This is a statement he makes. With men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. I'll read it again. With men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. But here's my favorite. I want to share this with you. Luke chapter 1, verse 37. You can look up these scriptures and, and look at the other scriptures around it and find out what it's talking about. But I want to just bring out these key points this morning uh, while I have time. Luke chapter 1 and verse 37 is my absolute favorite in this particular, talking about this particular thing about impossibility. To give you a background, uh, I guess this is fitting for Mother's Day because this was when the angel Gabriel had came to Mary and said that she was going to have, a, have, have the, the Son of God. She was going to uh, give birth to, this, to the Messiah, to the Son of God. And, uh, so, uh, and she says that back to Gabriel, she says, I have known no man. I cannot bring a child forth. I don't, I'm not married. I don't, I don't, and, he sa and she said, this is impossible. And it was an impossibility, wasn't it? People are still arguing over the virgin birth today. Impossibility. But this is what, this is what angel Gabriel said. Okay, he said, for with God, nothing, underline that word, nothing, will be impossible. Nothing will be impossible. Now, that's a short little statement, short little verse. It's a whole verse right there. 
but for nothing will be impossible. I went back to the Greek and I looked this up for myself because I heard this and I said, I want to see if this is this pans out. The word nothing there is actually two words in the Greek. And what the words are is no rhema. No rhema. Now, if I pick up this Bible and show it to you, this would be called in the Greek logos. This is the written word. We pick up there, you can turn the pages, you can read, this is the logos. But when God speaks, it's no longer called logos, it's called rhema. And what rhema means is the very spoken word of God. So listen to what he's saying. He said, for with God, nothing or no rhema or spoken word of God will be impossible. No rhema will be impossible. No, whatever God speaks, that removes. When God speaks, it removes all the impossibilities that could possibly happen, whether we think differently or not. It doesn't matter. Now, look up the word impossible. What does that mean? The word impossible, in the same verse, it means to be without strength, power, or ability. To be without strength, power, or ability. When you say something is impossible, you are saying, I'm without strength, I'm without power, and I'm without ability. And that's it. That's the end of the story. So therefore, it's impossible. Because I need strength, I need power, and I need ability. But what God said, he said, nothing will be impossible. In other words, when my spoken word comes forth, there will be nothing in my spoken word that will be without strength, power, or ability. It'll have the strength, it'll have the power, and it'll have the ability. Yeah. Period. Praise Period. You can say, yeah, but I don't, it doesn't, yeah, take your yeah buts and keep them. <laughs> God has said it, that's what it means. Amen. The fault is never on his end, it's always, the discrepancy is always on ours. So let's just let that rest for a minute. So let me put it here in a statement for you that's easier to remember. What God was saying, he said, no spoken word of God will ever come to you that is not contained within itself, its own ability to perform itself. No spoken word of God, no rhema, no spoken word of God will ever come to you that does not contain within itself, within that spoken word, its own ability to perform itself. Hmm. When God speaks to us, he creates the capacity for it to come to pass. He does. We don't. When God speaks to us, right away we try to figure out how we're supposed to get that done. I know I did. When I look at Key West, I says, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, there was it. People told me. I mean, they come to my church. These are people like me. People, they, they like me. <laughs> that was a miracle right there. But they come and, and, and they said, w w Pastor, we like you, but we're going to be honest with you right now. Um, you're not going to last in Key West. Because basically there has been no churches like yours in Key West ever. But you have every denomination representative. But a church like yours, you're not going to make it. Um, a few of those people right now are buried in the cemetery. You can go talk to them. I'm still here preaching. I guess they're... they're their, their prophecies didn't come to pass. I guess they weren't true prophets because basically what they said was impossible for a guy like me to accomplish in Key West has been being accomplished for the last 31 years. Yes. I know a lot of you weren't with me back then in those days, and you have to understand what it was a different time back then. And, but this is what it was. Religion was it. And basically, if you couldn't hire it, they didn't want it. Because they hired and fired their preachers the way they hired and fired their lawn maintenance men. And that's what the churches were about. 
But that, now here comes a preacher that can't be hired or fired. I was tried, they tried to hire me. I said, no, I didn't come here to get in your boat. But anybody's welcome in mine. I said, God has called me down here to sign me. I had one guy actually say, he went around and told me, he said, God sent a man down here, a man of God. We've got to get rid of him. I kid you not, we gotta get, he's got to go. Is he from God? Absolutely from God. I've been with this guy. The guy was my landlord. I rented from this guy when I first came to Key West. <laughs> He's in the cemetery over there in the middle of a, a, a town. His name will be, uh, will be anonymous right now. But the fact is, 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 is here, yes, we got a guy, guy from God, God sent him down here, no doubt. He went and told all his friends. They all came out to church to look at this guy who God sent down here. <laughs> but he's got to go. He's got to go. Cannot be controlled. In other words, we cannot hire him or fire him. And I said, God, it is impossible. How are you supposed to get through? I, I remember my prayer. How, how do I get through this kind of attitude, these people? I said, you said in the word, Ephesians chapter 4, that a pastor, a, a apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, are ascension gifts from Christ, operating that office to bring the power of God to, to the island, to bring the power of God to where they go. I says, how can this be? It looked impossible. And again, what seems to be impossible for man is not impossible for God. And we've got the track record to prove it. Amen? Praise the Lord. Am I helping anybody this morning? Now listen to me. I, I just give you some challenging thoughts. Okay? Listen to me right here. To believe that nothing is impossible with God. How many believe that statement? Nothing is impossible with God. All right, to believe that, then we owe him a lifestyle of big dreams where we are not afraid to rely upon his supernatural power for accomplishment. Learn, listen, learning to get past disappointments, ideas of failure to obtain God's presence in every situation. Right? Don't we owe him a lifestyle? Who do wanna, who's the one that died on the cross for you? Where would you be today without Jesus talking to all your Christians? Where would you be? What kind of life would you have? What kind of life would you be looking for? We're not even talking about the hereafter in your eternity. I'm talking about the life you have right now because if, your work, if you are applying this word of God to your life, you have a quality of life that the world doesn't even know about, let alone begin to tap into and they scratch their head, they look at you because they don't know where you're supposed to fit in. If you're walking the word according to what Jesus has said, because they did the same thing to Jesus. He said, in the world you'll have tribulations, you'll be good cheer, we'll overcome the world for you. Hmm. Do we walk like overcomers or undertakers? Praise the Lord. Reaching our potential, going beyond our capacity, and finishing the same statement, Reaching our potential, going beyond our capacity to imagine to what is possible through God. That's what we need to start doing. What is possible through him? Now, you can talk to my staff here or anybody around me. Uh, uh, pastors, uh, I'll say, we need to do this, this, and this. We need to change this. We need to change this. We need to change this. How many of you of my staff have come back and said, Pastor, you can't do that? It's impossible. How many has ever said that to me? Uh-huh. Yeah. The rest of you are cowards. Where's your hand? All right, fine. How many of those things are in place right now? 
<laughs> all right, I just want to clear it up for the record. Oh, sorry for a live stream where this is in-house stuff here we're talking about right here. Praise the Lord. It isn't because pastor has such a great idea or he's so smart. I'd like to take credit for that, but God shows me insights to different things, but he also shows us solutions that go beyond even some of our technologies that we know about, and we just, it just comes, comes together. It just comes, comes to work. Plus, God sends us talented people that have the ability to make it happen also in the natural realm. Are you here? How about this next scripture? I'm going to read this scripture real slow, listen to it real good, and see how it fits. Are you ready? Okay, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. I'll tell you, one of the best epistles in the entire Bible is Ephesians. Of my, my, I, love it. I love the book of Ephesians. Anyway, okay, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says this. Now to him, that capital H is talking about God, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we, are, that all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Now, let's slow that down and digest that for a minute. How many know this is the Word of God? How many know this is true? It doesn't contradict itself. This is what he's talking about. So God is saying this. Paul's writing it out, but this is what the Holy Spirit's telling him. Now to him, or to God, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly all that we ask or think. How many know, will believe right here, that God can do more than what you expect? He can do more, even what you can even think of, he can do more than that. Okay, that's what it's saying. So we're on the same page about all that we ask or think. Now listen to this. This is the part that trips me up. According to the power that works in us. According to the power that works in us. In this verse, God is challenging us to go beyond questions and thoughts to reach what he has put in, in us and wants to work through us not for our glory, but for His. And you thought Christianity was just going to church. So right now, if I read this correctly, if I properly dissect this verse properly, I can say right now dwells with inside of you the Spirit of God. How many would agree? This is a no-brainer. Okay, so I'll give you the ones you can say amen to. I mean, every preacher knows this, but if I could say a lot of things you know, you get, you get more amens. It's the things that I say that you don't know, you have to stop and think about for a while. Amen. Okay, so you can amen that. How many, how many have the Spirit of God within them? Amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Yeah, we got that one down. We know that. All right, praise the Lord. All right, so he says, able to do exceedingly abundant all we ask and think with a power that works in us. Now, you heard me say this before. The Holy Spirit is in us for our benefit but the Holy Spirit also can come upon us, still within us, but can come upon us for the benefit of others. Amen. When I lay hands on people, that's not my benefit, that's for their benefit. So I depend on the Holy Spirit to come upon me when I lay hands, pray for the sick or whatever it is, or come in agreement, the Holy Spirit to come. Now he wants to work through me. This is what it's saying. It's exceedingly, abundantly above all that we can ask even. I can't even put into words, either can you, all the things that God wants at our disposal, but he wants to work through us in those things to get these things done. Not a whole lot of amens there. I guess you're thinking about this. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. All right. Can I 
Can I take it in a little direction here? Hang on to that because that's going to be your verse of the day. Amen? God is just begging. He's just challenging us. Okay? I've got the power within you right now. The miraculous working power of the Lord is in you right now. And it can go even beyond anything you can ask me or think about. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? Mm, all right, well, let me see. Well, I guess maybe we'll discuss what you don't do with it first. But in Matthew chapter 16, if you want to flip in your Bible or just write it down, Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to go through this. I'm going to get these scriptures in a little bit. I've got to spend some time right here, okay? Are we okay? You good? All right, we interested so far? I'm going to unlock some things for you this morning. Okay, Matthew chapter 16, verse 1. I'm reading out of the New King James Bible. He says, Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and tested him and asked him, uh, uh, asked that he would show, talking about Jesus, would show them a sign from heaven. Seems innocent enough. All right, Jesus, if you're the Son of God, then show us a sign from heaven. That would be one thing to ask God to show us something. That we're, having, that we're confused about or what we haven't seen before or maybe something that's brand new because he did say in Ephesians, ask or think, right? That would be okay, except in John chapter 21, and verse 25, John writes this at the end of his gospel. This is his closing words. He puts amen at the bottom of it. He says this, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which, they, which if they were written one by one or written in detail, that's what he's talking about, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that were written in it. In other words, Jesus did so many things, so many signs and wonders, that you got to be an idiot not to see what was happening. But these scribes and Pharisees were saying, yeah, show us a sign. It wasn't that they didn't see the sign. It wasn't that at all. It was that they had a demand. In other words, the only thing that they were going to accept is that Jesus did the sign on their command, which would make him their understudy. It would make him their servant. That's what it was all about. They saw the signs. They saw the feeding of the 5,000. They were there with the feeding of the 4,000. They were there when he raised the dead. When he spoke out the tomb of Lazarus, Lazarus come forth and he came forth. They were there. They saw all these signs and wonders. What more signs and wonders do they need? Matter of fact, John says you can't even contain the books that all the things that were. They're not, it isn't even written down in our Bible all the things that Jesus did. He did so many things. That's what John is saying. Show us a sign. Hmm, don't we have that today? Show us a sign. Well, if God does this, then I'll believe in him. Whoop-dee-doo. Guess what? Whether you believe in him or not, he still exists. So who are you? Pharisee, Sadducee? So you're now, yeah, you're going to command God according to your will, and he has to submit to your will before you submit to his will? How does that work? That's not only bad theology. That's dangerous. Hmm. Well, if God doesn't heal me, then I don't believe he exists. Or I'll... I'll, I won't say that. I'll just say, well, healing must not be for today. Show me where it stopped. Amen. Jesus Christ himself said, go heal the sick. Lay hands on, uh, on, on the demon possessed. Amen. Cast it out. You do that. Amen. Did he say do that? If because we're not very good at it or it doesn't happen all the time, does not change the assignment of God. Amen. Not one iota. 
The fault, default is not in his problems, uh, and it's always on ours, if you heard me say before. Yes, sir. Hmm. So guess what? Laying hands on the sick, casting out devils, whatever you want to call it, praying for people, is not our idea, it's God's command. So what he's asking us to do is just give space and time so that can be done. That's it. Just give God a chance. And how many services, church services, he cut out from ever doing that because they don't want to, well, we don't believe it. Well, I, I haven't seen the results. So you have to see the results and judge God? Hmm. Either that or we come up with bad doctrines because we can't answer the tough questions. I don't. I just say, I, I don't know. When we get to heaven, I guess we'll find out. But until then, I'm going to still keep on doing, keep on doing. I say in this church, if I lay hands on you and you're believing for a healing and you don't get a healing, come on back. We'll do it again and we'll do it again and we'll do it again. Give us more information and we'll pray over that. Going to a doctor, we'll pray for him too. Why? Because that's the command of Jesus to do this. He didn't say try to figure it out. He said just do it. And in that, we're seeing people miraculously healed. I know people, they believe that, and it, no, nothing ever happened. You can line up 10 of those, and I'll find 20 that have gotten miracles. Because I've seen it all over the world. I've seen it with my own eyes. So that, that, that's, that's going to be a, a no-starter right there. But the fact is, whether God does anything, we see anything happen and change or not, does not change the word one iota. And Jesus gave it a command. It's a command for every church, for every minister, for every believer to do that. We don't have a right to change the assignment just because we don't believe in it. Amen? Do you always go what you believe in? So you must believe only in things that are possible. <laughs> so I'm only going to believe those things which are possible then those things are only within your strength as a physical being so there is no supernatural being there must not be any supernatural God then if you're only believing to, what you, to your limited resources if you're going to limit God to your ability when he already says what was that Ephesians chapter 3 20 <clears throat> hmm above all that we are ask or think hmm interesting isn't it interesting are you okay? Yes. Now, I said all that to really tell you the next thing. Jesus says this in verse 6. He says, take heed. Jesus says unto them as a disciple, take heed, pay attention. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus called that attitude leaven. Now, what is leaven? Well, in a Jewish mindset is a symbolization of sin or parts of the world entering in. Uh, I'm not a baker. I'm not even a cook, but I'm going to attempt to explain this. I've got some backup here if, if, I, if I say something not correct. Okay, you got a lump of dough, correct? Now, Saray, she makes our uh, matzah because we, we make our own matzah in-house for communion. We do the matzah and you get the rounding just like they did. And it, she, we get the wheat from, from uh, Israel and the grape juice from Israel and all this other stuff. So it's as authentic as we can make it. And she leaves out the yeast, but there's a certain amount of time you have to get that into get that cooking, uh, right? Uh, 18 minutes, exactly what the law says, according to the Hebrew tradition, prepare that, so it does not anywhere ferment or rise. There's no fermentation at all. Represent the body of Christ. Okay, more covenant meal. Okay, he said, take, Jesus said, take here, now leaven, you take the dough, and you take this yeast, is that what it is? Yeast? Okay. I got one cook in the whole place there. Huh? 
You ladies don't know how to, how to bake bread? All right, praise the Lord. Anyway, but you take the yeast and you stick it in a lump. Now what happens? It rises. Well, how does it rise? I mean, does the pan levitate? What, what happens? You put the <laughs> yeast in there, what, it rises. All right, is it instantaneous? Huh, it's not instantaneous. Now, let me ask you this. Does any kind of room temperature or heat increase this process? Ha, yeah. ah, yes, it does. See, that's, so there's more to this leaven than just brazen stuff. So what happens is sin, if we, if we say the way Jesus, we talk about the leaven of the Pharisees, or the sin of the Pharisees, okay? In other words, this leaven comes in there, and when things get a little warm, it starts to reveal itself. When you get a little heated, doesn't the real you on the inside begin to reveal itself? Just look at the floor, look at the ceiling. Pleasure's not talking about me because I'm in church this morning. <laughs> huh? Yeah, that leaven's in there. And, it's right, and boy, we're getting puffed up. How many's ever been puffed up? Uh-huh, sure. Don't look at me so sanctimoniously. I know. Hallelujah. I know you all. Praise the Lord. Anyway, so you said, so, so leaven. Now, in Passover, of course, the Jewish household, they get the whole house, they get all the leaven out. It's, it's symbolic of sin. We're getting sin out. When Jesus gave his body, his unleavened bread, it was a sinless offering. He had no sin in his body. So, this was, so leaven was the same as sin. So he said, in the sin of the Pharisees, he said, beware of the leaven. Now, we just saw all this stuff. The disciples, when I say we were talking about the disciples, we're, we're saying that, we're looking at this, those were disciples. I could just see Peter contemplating all this deep stuff because he was a deep guy. Amen? Anyway, so, so we're all, and man, I got it. I know exactly what he's talking about. John, it was up to you, wasn't it? No, it was Andrew. No, no, I'm telling you, you guys, you guys blew it. You forgot the lunch. So they start reasoning with themselves. Now Jesus is ticked because you forgot to bring lunch. <laughs> I wish I was making this stuff up, but anyway, it's too good to make up. They reasoned, in verse 7, and they reasoned amongst themselves, saying, it was because we have not taken no bread. That's why he's saying this. He's talking about the leaven of the Pharisees because we didn't bring any bread. Remember, we've got lunch. And here I am talking, just before lunchtime, we're talking about it for lunch. Hmm, this is what they get out of this thing? Listen, there's a couple lessons in this, in, in this story right here. And Jesus turns on, he says, oh, you of little faith. There's that term again, we studied that last week, remember? Oh, you little faith. Why do you reason amongst yourself because you have no bread? Did you not understand or remember the five loaves? And how many baskets you had left over? Nor the seven loaves and the 4,000 people fed and how much you had left over? Didn't you remember that? Can't we do that again? We've already du duplicated several times. So why are you talking about bread when I say leaven of the Pharisees? Did you notice something? Because the disciples are just like we are. Do you notice what they started? As soon as Jesus said something, they gravitated towards their lack of what they did not have. Not a whole lot of amens there. I'll wait for that. process that a little bit. Praise the Lord. Why is it that our minds always gravitate towards what we do not have? Which therefore, Jesus, if you want us to do anything, I guess you're going to have to make lunch over again. I guess you're going to have to do something, God. I mean, we're in a position and we don't know where to go. I guess you're going to just have to do something. 
that doing something God is not a prayer. Do something God, that's a frustration that is mouthing itself. Now, I'm not saying God won't intervene in that situation, but he's going to look at where you've been. He's going to look at individual cases in each one. But Jesus wasn't talking about that. He was saying 11 of the Pharisees is worse than not having lunch. The leaven of the Pharisees is going, to, is going to put you in a mindset and a doctrine that's going to be deadly and cuts you off from the Father's love. You're going to cut yourself off. Father doesn't cut himself off anybody. He either leaves the, or forsakes us, but the fact is we cut ourselves off from him. Amen? Praise Lord. Are we learning anything this morning? <laughs> Why does their reasoning start with what they're lacking? Their reasoning about not having enough food day after day, the day after they saw the food multiply where Jesus can multiply. So we already see what Jesus can do. How many has ever been healed by Jesus? Raise your hand. And the next sickness or disease, don't you doubt the same thing, whether they can heal you or not? <laughs> okay, praise the Lord. Let's get rid of that 11 minute right now. Understand something about God. He loves to work through us more than just work towards us. Or for us. We, how many know we are his servants? He is not ours. Let me ask you something else. Would you love Jesus the same whether he ever did anything for you or not? That's a question I ask myself all the time. Does Jesus have to do anything? Would I still do what he called me to do, even if he didn't intervene? That's a tough question. Because I depend on the intervention of God on everyday basis, especially for this ministry. Hmm, would I still do it if he didn't respond? And it's a self-searching uh, thing in our life. I say, yeah, I would. Would you still go to church if God never showed up? Yes, I would. Why? Because it says it in here we're supposed to. And his word is good enough for me. But until you come to that place, you cannot reach the next level of maturity to where God now wants to bring things to you and work through you. Old timers used to say this, got to get it to you if he can get it through you. If he can't get it through you, stingy bucket, he's not going to get it to you. And God knows your heart before you do it. So it's not about us, not about you. God never was much of a millennial, I guess. Praise the Lord. Amen. It says in Luke chapter 9, verse 1, that Jesus sent out the 12 disciples. These same guys, he sent them out. They come back all excited. He said, you go out. He said, lay hands on the sick. His authority is connected to the commission, and the power of God is connected from the encounter. I'm going to say that again. I went too fast. Authority of God is connected to the commission, what he's told us to do. The power of God comes from the encounter. I lay hands on people that, that need healing so they can get healing. That's the power of God. That's the encounter. But before I can do the encounter, I've got to have the commission. And God has given me the commission through his word, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover, call for the elders of the church, anoint with oil, all the different things, plus other scriptures. Amen? So that's the, that's the com, uh, connection or commission. When Jesus sent out the 12 disciples, he says, you go out, lay hands on the sick, cast out devils, and, and, and so, so, so on and so forth. Jesus stayed back. He transferred the anointing to them. They went out and did what they did and came back and they were ecstatic. Man, you want to really, I mean, you got to be, they, they went from that to the conversation of who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? I don't know. I cast out more devils than you did. I guess I'm the greatest. My church is bigger. I guess I'm the greatest. And Jesus said, you just blew it. He said, to be the greatest in the kingdom, you must become the least. The kingdom is backwards. 
To live in the kingdom, you die to self. To to, uh, be exalted in the kingdom, you make yourself low. To be a ruler in the kingdom, you become a servant to all. It's, it's, it's a backward type of world. It's different than what we think of. But they, see, they still had the leaven of the Pharisees. Look what God has done for me. I'm the one. I'm called. It's me. Look what I'm able to do. They couldn't do nothing. Jesus gave the command. They were taking the word. What was that? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 again. Does anybody remember that verse? We just read it a while ago. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. According to the power that works in us. If we don't have the power in us, there's nothing to work in us or through us. And the only reason it's in us or through us is because God has willed it to be. He has given it to us. But we have to be people who can be trusted with it. I just give you... Course 101 on ministry. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. So, what does Jesus do? You guys blew it. You not only misunderstood the commission, you misappropriated the power because you took it for glory for yourself. You messed up. You guys are done. You're messed up. That's it. I'm going back to heaven. Bye. See ya. Adios. Is that what he said? No. no. You know what he does? Here's what Jesus does. In response to their screw-up and their attitude in how they took care of ministry, Jesus turns around to find 70 more with less experience, less training, (laughs) and he anoints them. Don't do the same thing. God doesn't think like we think. He doesn't think like our religion thinks. Amen? He gives everybody an opportunity. And guess what? Now, I've, I've been ragging on Peter here, so let me, let me straighten out the record for Peter. Peter comes out, we'll, we'll, I'll explain more of this on the day of Pentecost, but it, we get to the Pentecost Sunday. But, but basically, J- Peter was the first recorded miracle after the uh, outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Peter's walking to the temple, going to the temple, walking with a surety, walking with a different spring and a step, I imagine. There's a crippled guy who was crippled from birth, the Bible specifically says Peter reached out his right hand. Guy wasn't looking for a hand, he was looking for alms. He was looking for money. But G- Peter didn't give him money. He said, what I have, silver and gold I have none. None for you. But he said, what I have, I'm going to give you something better. He said, and he stretched forth his right hand, and he says, arise and walk. That was the same Peter that said, who's the greatest in the kingdom? No, Lord, you can't go to the cross. Get you behind me, Satan. This was the same Peter, that Jesus said, get you behind me, Satan, did the first miracle after the day of Pentecost, and this guy's life changed forever because the power of God that was in him. Above all that Peter could ask or think, God reached right through Peter, through his skeletal work of Peter, through the, out, through the outstretched physical hand of Peter, and hit this guy, shot through his legs, and stood this guy right up, Amen. who never walked in his entire life. Was never taught how to walk. He never walked. He was, he was par- uh, paralyzed from birth. Confrontation of the impossible. The impossible is in your mind. When God says it's impossible, it is impossible. Until that, get a different thought or carry on. Help anybody this morning? Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen?
Now, I still got one minute and 36 seconds. I got a lot more notes than that. Praise the Lord. But praise, amen. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Can I give you one more? This, this, is, this, this is the absolute closing. Is that the third one? I get three. It's the American way. Oh, okay. I got, I got one minute and 16 seconds. Praise the Lord. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. If I don't get through all this whole thing, you can go look it up and study it at home. Romans 15, 13, New King James Version again, says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our hope abounds through the power of the Holy Spirit. One point I want to bring out. Failing to interact with power is failing to live in, a full, in the fullness of hope. There's a connection in the life of power and supernatural hope. There's a connection. The hope that comes from the, from the interaction with the power of God is different from the hope that we get from the power of positive thinking. Big point. Get it down. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's a hope that says, I'm here for divine purposes because that I am, in, and because of that, I must embrace the confrontation of the impossible. I am not here for myself. I'm here to do God's commission, and I'm here for other people. Like I said, if God can get it through you, he'll get it to you. But he first has to get it through you so he can get it to you. So what happens is he'll meet our needs as we meet others' needs. Purpose of offerings. We give, it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. And I got a lot more, but I can't do it. Amen? Praise the Lord. How many got something out of the word this morning? Amen. Praise the Lord. Now you can amen. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.